The information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Evolving Share Podcast with your host, Lakeisha Russell, also known as America's Mental Wellness Ambassador. Um, Those of you who are new to the podcast, I am a licensed professional counselor here in the state of Wisconsin, where I am um, the founder of a private practice here, the Evolving Chair Counseling and Consulting Agency, and of course, the creator of the Evolving Chair Podcast. The Evolving Chair Podcast was created out of the need where I saw us needing to have conversations, um, especially among the black and brown community and um, leading the way of breaking down the shame and fear about talking about everything mental wellness. Um, and you will notice that this podcast have an array of guests, um, some celebrities, some um, everyday folks, experts in their fields, um, just sharing um, their journey of their own mental wellness. And the goal is um to, to break the barrier of shame and fear um, among the black and brown community through one conversation at a time. And so I typically start with what I call pop therapy, but because I have a very, very special guest, I won't be doing pop therapy today. Um, but pop therapy allows me to focus on either like an article, a book, um, a movie, a TV show, um, music lyrics, um, something in society um, that's a hot topic and give it a therapeutic twist. Um, so I will highlight um, my very special guest and then you will hear from her after this. Maria Davis Pierre is the founder of Autism in Black Inc. She's a licensed therapist, coach, speaker, and advocate. After going through the process of getting her daughter diagnosed at 18 months, Maria changed her specialty and began working heavily in the autism community. In January of 2018, Maria launched her second private practice, Autism in Black, Inc., which aims to provide support to black parents who have a child on the spectrum through educational and advocacy services. Autism in Black, Inc. is dedicated to bring awareness and acceptance to autism spectrum disorder and reducing the stigma associated with ASD in the black community. Maria is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. She graduated from Florida State University with a bachelor's of science in sociology and went on to obtain a master's of science in mental health counseling from Nova Southeastern University. And we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors with our very special guest, Maria Davis-Pierre. The Evolving Chair podcast is brought to you by the Evolving Chair Counseling Consulting Agency, where we service children and women who've experienced trauma, depression, anxiety, and literally focusing on all children and women issues. If you're ready to evolve into your best self, to live your best life, to be able to fulfill your God-given purpose, connect with us today at www.theevolvingchair.com. Again, that's www.theevolvingchair.com. Or give us a ring at 414-395-0037. All right, you guys, we are back, and I have my special guest returning with me, Miss Maria Davis-Pierre, the licensed mental health counselor. You want to say hi to the Evolvers? Hi, everybody. I am so, so excited to have you on today because this is a topic that needs to be shared, um, and especially among, you know, the black community. Most. Definitely, most definitely, I agree. Yeah, so Miss Maria, um, I, I shared with the the listeners um, a little bit of your background and what it is you do, but I would like for you to share with them what led you to this field of helping individuals and 
more so focusing on autism? Uh, for me, it started with my personal journey. My daughter, who is now six, um, got her diagnosis at 18 months, although we knew mm. way before that that she was um, on the spectrum, that she was autistic, but going through the process of actually getting the official diagnosis was extremely hard. So she got her official diagnosis at 18 months. And mm -hmm. after being, you know, getting the diagnosis and seeing that that was just the beginning of our autism journey because so much, you know, comes with having an autism diagnosis that you then have to worry about IEPs and services mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I was seeing in our community, the black community specifically, that the information about autism wasn't getting to our communities. You know, they didn't mm. know what autism was. Anytime you say the word autism, you know, people kind of are taken aback. They don't know how to take it because right. they don't really understand what autism is. And after seeing so many parents who would look at me and be like, how are you so open and forthright with saying that your daughter is autistic? I don't, I don't understand. You know, it's like I'm not ashamed of who she is. She's, you know, different. Mm. We're all different. You know, there's no shame yeah. associated with her being autistic, and I don't ever want her to feel any shame, you know, with mm -hmm. being autistic. So I'm not going to be, you know, secretive about, you know, who she is and, and what we're dealing with in our home. So that, to me, it was like, okay, I have to, to do something here. I'm a mental health professional. You know, I have mm -hmm. both sides of the coin, as you would say, because I'm a parent who has a child on the spectrum. Right the actual professional side of dealing with autism. And I said, you know, if nobody's going to be out here helping my community, then it's up to me to do so. So I created Autism in Black to specifically support Black parents who have an autistic child and to also train professionals on the cultural sensitivity within the Black community um, about autism because I had professionals coming in and out of my home and they never mm -hmm. once addressed the, the cultural side of autism for us. And, and mm -hmm. I'm a therapist, and my husband is a physician, and we are very aware, well aware of the actual, what autism is and things like that. But still, culturally, for us, you know, there were some adjustments right. to be made. So just coming in with your cookie-cutter approaches and never taking our culture into consideration, you know, it was you know, took me aback. A so I just said, you know, I have to do something about this. So I created Autism in Black. Right. And I'm so excited that you created this resource because it is a conversation that continuously needs to be had, just like mental health in our community, yeah. you know, and yeah. coming away from the stigmas associated with autism. Now, Maria, yeah. How did you know that you were you were purposed to be a therapist? What brought you to um, that? I think that, you know, um, for me, I, I was initially on track to be a um, physician, and uh, I decided, oh, wow. you know, um, germs are not my thing. <laughs> but I still, I still, yeah, like those germs were like, like, okay, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, no, no more. <laughs> so um, I sat down. I was like, you know, me and my, well, at the time, my then boyfriend, now husband, sat down. He was like, you know, you still can be in the helping for profession. You know, therapy is really, you know, your thing. You know, that that's for you. And she uh, go and, you know, learn about that research there to see if that is your, your thing. And I did. And, you know, I went and, uh, changed my, um, major, uh, in my bachelor's program. And then I graduated and went to NOVA master's program for mental health. And mm -hmm. that was, was the end of it for me. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. So what part of that, because, you know, you, you, you could have gone the route of um, the social work and, and doing more of that case management piece of it. So what what really, like, made an impression on your heart to be like, therapy is it? I know definitely with the help of um, your husband, um, mm -hmm. you know, motivating you to be like, well, you know, you know, you like to help people, like, try this. But what was it about the therapy for you that just gave you that ultimate buy-in to be like, yep, 
this is it. This is the lane that I'm in. I should be in. Um, more so the, the the talking with the individuals, you know, figuring out the diagnosis part of it and how to, mm. to deal with that and seeing, you know, even at that time in our community, how it was still a hush hush thing. Like, oh, you you try people were like, you you try to be a therapist. Oh no, we can't. We can't have that, you know. We we can't talk about that in our mm-hmm. We we go and pray about our problems. So I think for mm-hmm. me that even more fueled me to be like, okay, yeah, I need to continue with this and be an actual therapist so I can, you know, shed light on my community because it was a lot of, you know, in my family they were like, oh God, what are, what are you doing? What are you doing here? <laughs> it's not what right. we want you to do. <laughs> so that yeah. fueled me even more to be like, okay, yeah. You know, we really need to um, have these talks in our community. And then, you know, there was a a death in my family, and I saw how my family grieved around this death. And I said, you know Mm. what, it it really takes a professional to come in here and to deal and pull back all these layers, you know, to help us grieve as a family. So that even impacted me um, even more. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Wow. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And now, um, just talking, as we're talking about, like, stigmas and breaking away with that, what are some of the top stigmas you hear as it relates to autism? Uh, the mo- one of the top ones, the most one I hear a lot is that people equate autism to an intellectual disability. And it's not. They're not the same thing. Okay. Autism is a neurological disorder, and it is not equated with an intellectual uh, disability. Can somebody who is autistic also have an intellectual disability? Yes, they can. But, for instance, my daughter does not have an intellectual disability. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not one and the same. It's two separate components. So that's one of the myths that I am constantly, you know, out there trying to bring shed light on because and I think that's what brings a lot of stigma in our community with it because they automatically think, you know, there's an intellectual disability, you know, the R word, yeah. which I don't say, but I'm sure you guys know mm-hmm. what the R word is. So they mm-hmm. automatically mm-hmm. think that, oh, your child is autistic, so they must be that. And it's no, that's not it. You know, so that's really one of the biggest things. And then the second one in our community is religion. The religion Mm. factor that plays into somebody having, you know, a disability. It's okay. Well, we're going to pray about it. Um, We'll lay hands Mm. on them. You know, we'll take them to the altar and try to get rid of it. And it's like, you know, that's not how autism works. It's there forever. It's a part of who they are. It's a part of how their brain Mm -hmm. works, you know. So those are, are two of the, the biggest myths that I have to to work on within our community. Okay. Okay. And now um, just to, to piggyback off of the neurobiological, can you explain a little bit about what actually autism is for people? So that way, you know, because like you said, people do pretty much associate this to like somebody having a you know, being cognitively delayed. Um, and like I shared with you earlier, um, before we started, you know, I literally ran into this situation with a parent that I was working with where the school was sharing, um, the autism diagnosis and mom was just like, nope, I don't believe that, you know, and, and broke down crying. But again, she was, and when I think about it, like she kept saying like, but he's so smart. He's so smart. And it's like, yeah, it, that doesn't have nothing to do with his intelligence. <laughs> yes. And so can, can you help the listeners really truly understand what autism is and how it works? Yes. Um, I will start by saying that um, the full name autism spectrum disorder. So it is actually a spectrum disorder. You know, an individual can fall anywhere on the spectrum and no two individuals are the same a parent can have two children with who are autistic and they can be completely different you know so with autism it's so hard to kind of diagnose and and get in there because you know everybody's so different but there are a few you know kind of general signs that you're you know you're going to be aware of one would be a speech delay or a speech regression so, for instance, mm. my daughter had learned how to say mom, dad, ball, high, 
And then in about 10 months, she completely forgot how to say all of those words. Just completely mm. forgot. So that was a, a big sign for us. Then there's um, repetitive behaviors. So, you know, if you see, like, arm flapping, spinning, mm-hmm. you know, that's um, called stimming. And it's something that um, autistic individuals do for um, a coping mechanism. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, let's see what else there is. Socially, of course, that's a big aspect. Um, so if mm-hmm. you see, like, they um, really can't carry on, like, a social conversation uh, with a person. They have no kind of uh, interest in doing that. The eye contact isn't there. You know, that's a red flag as well. So, you know, those are some of the kind of general signs that you're looking for in a, um, a child who may be autistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And now as, as we're talking about the signs, Maria, what is like the general age where you might see these um, symptoms coming out? Like, because I know people are always like, oh, you can see it earlier on, or sometimes people aren't aware of it until the child is a little older. But, like, can you talk to us about that? Um, it, it really depends on, on the individual. I think what oh. uh, made me aware of in my daughter, and this is a, another sign that I forgot to mention, is the sensory um, issues that come along with autism as well. You know, they may... Um, not care for a, a certain feel or a touch or things like that. Mm-hmm. You know? And a lot of times people may think that they're having a tantrum, but re- what really is happening is that they're overstimulating and having a sensory, you know, outburst. So that was mm-hmm. what I noticed with my daughter, and I noticed that at six months with her. So oh, wow. And then, yeah, and I kept watching. So most people will see something around age three, Mm-hmm. Uh, for mm-hmm. sure, and you know, at that time, uh, you know, early intervention is so important. So I'm telling parents, if you notice any of these signs, just go and, and get your child, you know, evaluated. It doesn't hurt to get an evaluation done, you know, so that mm-hmm. you can then know where to move forward with it. Because early intervention really does matter. And then there's some, especially those who are considered the high functioning. Um, autistics, I don't care for that word, but yes, high function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they may not, you may not notice until they're in school age, and then there's that real social aspect of it that people and the quirkiness that people are noticing, and they're like, okay, you know, there's yeah. something here that's different. You know, and then there's people who go all until um, in adulthood and get a diagnosis. So it really depends on, you know, where you fall on the spectrum and your symptoms because, you know, a lot of times the autistic individuals learn to adapt and to cope, and they kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, just depending on where they are can, you know, go all the way to adulthood and people just think they're they're different, they're quirky, they're a little strange, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. autism. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's something because you know you make a valid point because you're like every person is different, and I'm just thinking of the the students I work with how different each one of them are, you know, with the diagnosis of autism, and, and it and it definitely varies. Like I feel like I can never like pinpoint, you know what I mean? Like two of them being the same, like. It, it shows up differently um, for them, but but I, I think you know you it, it, it makes you um, you definitely I think are more aware of like okay it's it's something I can't put my finger on it but it it's something like you said the the quirks and things like that mm-hmm. um, that definitely are very prevalent um, especially when it comes to the peers you know um, and interacting with with their peers of their age. Um, now, Maria, can can you talk to us about, so when we're talking about going to get an evaluation, what that may look like and who the person would be that would be evaluating the child? Yes. So um, for me, you know, my first point of contact was my pediatrician. 
but mm-hmm. you know, normally um, a regular pediatrician cannot give you the official diagnosis. So mm-hmm. um, what they do is give you a referral. So of the people who can diagnose with autism, it would be a developmental pediatrician, a neurologist, or a psychologist. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I was sent to a, a program in our community. It's called Early Steps. Okay. Um, maybe different in, in your state, but for us it's called Early Steps before three. Mm-hmm. After three, it's called Child Fine. So okay. Okay. You go to this um, evaluation, and there is a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, a psychologist, and a developmental pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And they're all evaluating your child and, you know, you as the parent uh, from, you know, your perspective of what's going on with your child. They're evaluating them on all the developmental milestones. And from there, you know, they can give a diagnosis of, oh, it's just, you know, a speech delay. But for mm-hmm. my daughter, she was, um, they said, yes, we do see, think that she is autistic, you know. So from mm-hmm. there, because she wasn't quite three yet, at this time she was like 12 months. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. too early. We don't want to give a diagnosis. Um, so ah. you have to go see. Yeah, you have to go see a, a neurologist. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> finding a child neurologist is completely, I mean, they're, they're not out there like you would think. <laughs> it, it's mm-hmm. really hard. <laughs> and for us, it was like a, maybe a month or so wait and they were like 45 minutes away from them. And we went there. Wow. And they, for them, what they do are, um, DNA tests, you know, they do, some brain scans and things like that and do their evaluation process and they um, will let you know if your child is autistic. And for us, it was the same thing. Yes, we do think she's autistic. However, she's not quite three yet, so we don't want to give her the diagnosis. So, ah, so it was extremely difficult for us to get this diagnosis. This is what I mean by that. We kept getting, but yes, she's autistic, but no, she's not. Wow. Wow. So three is almost like that magic number of being like, oh, we can officially diagnose. But anything mm-hmm. under, it's like, we think, we highly, strongly believe it is this. However, <laughs> we cannot tell yeah. you that in, like, official writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they had just at that time rung it down to three because I believe before that it was oh, wow. five or six or something. Yeah, so now it's Three, and it still is three, uh, to my knowledge. Um, but you can get the diagnosis, you know, early on if you fight for it. And I think that's um, really what I have to stress to parents is that you are the advocate for your child. So if you know something is off, please follow through with that. I had to literally tell the neurologist, I'm going to sit in your office every day until you give me the <laughs> diagnosis. Wow. Yes. I said, I'm going to bring you coffee. We can do lunch together. Um, Whatever. You said, I'm going to be here. Yes. After a week, he took me seriously. He gave me that diagnosis and sent me on my way. You know, it it was very difficult to get. The diagnosis, and I'm like, everybody here knows wow. she's autistic. We all know, mm-hmm, her, mm-hmm. but you don't feel comfortable giving it to her because she's not three. When we all know early intervention matters, before yes. three really matters. So why are you going to make me wait until she's three? It makes no sense, you know. And I was like, you know, my husband's a physician. I'm a therapist, and we're having this much trouble getting a diagnosis. Wow. What about what about the people who have no knowledge who are gonna just take what their doctors say as okay, yes, it must be and go on and then their child, you know, gets lost by the wayside and then at five when they enter school it's like, okay, yes. Exactly. You know, and they missed out on all that time. It's not fair. Wow. What do you think is the hesitancy behind them giving the diagnosis earlier? instead of just waiting training um physicians are not trained on autism your general physicians are not trained on autism Mm. the specialists who are trained and even then you know with autism being you know full 
you know, one of the only diagnoses that somebody can be extremely brilliant intellectually but can't tie their shoes. Mm-hmm. For doctors, we know that doctors like to, to always be right. And with autism, you know, there's mm-hmm. a kind of guessing that goes along. So they're not confident in giving a diagnosis. And I think that's really what it what it boils down to, the confidence of the doctors, the training of the doctors. There's been research saying that, you know, because in the black and Hispanic community, the children mm-hmm. are diagnosed two years later than white children. Wow. And research, yeah, there's research that says that, you know, physicians don't want to have to explain to black and Hispanic parents what autism is. So hmm. they just don't have the conversation at all. Wow, and just act as if they don't see some of the, the signs exactly. and things. Wow. Wow. What what do you think we can do, Maria, to help bring more awareness just about right signs and symptoms, like early on? You know, because I, I, I strongly feel, you know, even even working with children who may not be diagnosed with autism but may um, suffer from anxiety and depression, parents see signs early on, but yet they aren't sure. And then they do go to the providers, and the provider's like, oh, they're fine. You know, it's nothing. Yeah. How do we encourage parents to be that advocate, to be like, no, no, no. Like, I feel it's something. You, you know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. For me, what I'm, I tell parents is that you are the expert in your child. Like you are, yes. so you're you're with your child more than the professional. The professional is an expert on their niche, but they are not an expert mm-hmm. in your child. So if you feel that something is not right and something is going on, then find another professional. It's okay to do that, and I think a lot of times we don't we don't give ourselves permission to say, okay, yeah, this professional doesn't know what they're talking about because we're taught, especially in our community, to respect. You know, someone who is a, a physician, you know, has, has done all mm-hmm. training. But they're not the expert in your child. So you, if you exactly. feel like they're giving you the runaround or don't want to do what you need to do, you need to go find somebody who's going to be um, on your team. As an advocate, you are, as an advocate for your child, you are the team leader. You're the coach. So you got to mm-hmm. get all the players on your team to act right accordingly. So find the person who's going to play on your team. It's okay to do that. And then for us as professionals, we have to have to do the work. We have to, to research. Yes. We have to know more about, you know, autism and other disabilities so that we can tell mm-hmm. people, okay, this is what I'm seeing. You know, we have we can't be silent on a lot of things, especially in the black community, you know, because there's so much taboo and, and stigmas associated with certain things in our community, and I think it's up to us to, to, you know, be the voice. You know, when, when black mm-hmm. parents see me talking about my daughter and, and I'm so mm-hmm. free with it and sharing my story, that inspires them to then share their story about their child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just me talking about it as a black parent who has an autistic daughter, that inspires mm-hmm. them. So we have to, we can't be silent. We have to talk about it. We have to normalize these conversations. Mhm, mhm, yeah, now, Maria, do you know any of the stats on like how many children who are diagnosed with autism are minority? It depends on um like I know from my state or my county, you know, so for autism, it's one in fifty nine children right now. And I think that oh, wow. in the school system, yeah, one in 59 children right now. And it's not an epidemic that's going on. It's true right. professionals are getting more more knowledge about autism, so they're able to identify it, you know, right on. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what that is with, with that stat. But in my community, I think in the school system, we're looking at about um, half, a little more than half. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Black uh, Hispanic children who have autism. Wow. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. So it's, it's definitely not, not you know, rare. It's not mm-hmm, rare. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in one in 59 children, that's like, well, pro- probably about one one child in each classroom at least. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that that's real. And now um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit um, just because we're talking about school systems and things like that. Is there a difference from a child being diagnosed with educational autism um, versus being diagnosed with autism from um, a medical provider out in the community? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have never heard of educational autism until you said it to me before we started the recording. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay, so now that this I've is very interesting for yeah. me. Okay, because then it makes me wonder, um, it, it is, yeah, so I'm just thinking of a few of the kids that I, I, I work with, and they have IEPs, and, and, and they were given a diagnosis from the school, and it was mm-hmm. it was coded as educational autism. And so my thinking was, because they couldn't really diagnose him, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a traditional medical provider, but mm-hmm. this these are the signs and symptoms they are seeing in the school, and so that allows them to label it, you know, as educational autism, but... It's really autism, like in my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's clear as day. But you know, <laughs> well, you know, I have my my own issues with the school system and how they do anybody who has a disability and has an IP or a 504. Um, but you know, there is the the school psychologist is the one who's actually doing these testings, and I mm-hmm. don't understand why they're not giving us the autism diagnosis. I my daughter's IEP says autism. The children, uh, the parents, you know, that I go to IEP meetings with, their children's uh, IEP says autism. I've never come across um, school uh, autism, educational autism. So that's I'm definitely going to do some research. <laughs> I would definitely yes. do some research on that. <laughs> yes, because here, well, at least here in the state of Wisconsin, I know it's it's not uncommon for us to see an IEP that says educational autism. You know, then we're just like, oh, the school is giving this diagnosis, not necessarily the medical provider. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I will definitely do some some research on that. But yeah, there's, you know, in the DSM, there's no um, educational diagnosis. It's just ASD. There's not even, you know, because my daughter was diagnosed under the DSM-4-TR, so she actually was diagnosed with Asperger's, okay? Mm. You know, now, Mm -hmm. yeah, so now there's no such thing as Asperger's or pervasive developmental disorder, because it used to be Asperger's, pervasive developmental disorder, and then autism. Now it's just all autism. All oh, right, all autism. Yeah, and you, and you all you fall somewhere on the spectrum. So, yeah, I've never heard of the educational, but I'm definitely going to, to do my research on that and, you know, provide the parents some more help on this and help them figure out, you know, what that means for them as well. Mhm, mhm. And now, just for the listeners, so they might be like, "What? What is the acronym um, <laughs> for the Aspergers?" Can you explain a little bit about what, how was? Because right, because now, right, with the new DSM, so the diagnostic um, manual that us as clinicians use to um, diagnose individuals, just for the listeners' point of reference. Um, it's autism is just all one and it's just a spectrum, but previously they had it, um, in different categories. And so can you explain, um, a little bit about the Asperger's pervasive development disorder and then like just the regular autism for them? Just a point of reference for yeah. listeners. So Asperger's would be considered your high functioning autism, um, for those who you know, watch and um, have watched Parenthood. Max was considered Asperger's. If you watch Good Doctor, he's considered Asperger's. So that would be your high functioning type of autism that, you know, they're a little quirky, you know, have some um, social um, issues with uh, being social, but they're able to, you know, use all those coping mechanisms 
and continue on, you know, through school and things like that. But pervasive developmental disorder, it's more of, yeah, we, we think you're autistic, but we're not quite sure where you fall at, you know, type of thing. So it's like, um, it's our type of autism, but we really don't know what's going on, so we're just going to put you in this category. And then it was what they considered full-blown autistic, which would be considered your low-functioning autism, the people who have a um, more behavior challenges and, you know, may not be able to speak, things like that. I personally do not like all of the categories of where people try to place somebody who is autistic because we all know that. Mm -hmm. We don't all know, but I know that you know, they can fall anywhere on the spectrum and and still do things that, you know, you say they can't do. So I personally Mm. don't um, use high-functioning or Mm low-functioning with any of my clients and definitely don't use it with my child, Uh, but just to give the listeners, you know, an understanding of what it is because I think we also have to be aware of the individuals who who are autistic and how they perceive us talking about these things and you know it can be you know something that is offensive so I personally don't use those terms yes no thank you for that because I know some of the listeners are probably like wait wait a minute which is the difference because <laughs> I know I, I always think yeah. like as clinicians like it's so easy for us to be like yeah because yeah yeah like that would be the like Okay, yeah, we don't know really what's going on, but we think, yeah, so, yeah, basic mm-hmm. development. But now they completely have gotten rid of all of those, and they just call it autism spectrum disorder, plain and simple, and you fall somewhere on this spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And now, Maria, what piece of advice as a parent who has been given the diagnosis as well as a clinician working with parents who've been given a diagnosis, what what piece of advice would you give parents in order to be receptive to hearing, okay, hey, your child may have autism, even if the parent wasn't looking for it, you know what I mean? And like a medical provider was like, hey, I noticed X, Y, and Z. Or the school is like, I noticed X, Y, and Z. You may want to go get you know, them tested or evaluated. What piece of advice would you give to that parent who is getting this information? And it may seem overwhelming to them. Mm-hmm. It, it's definitely overwhelming because, I mean, if you type in autism, you're getting millions of hits. But what I always mm. tell the parents is if somebody is telling you, a professional is telling you to get the evaluation, get the evaluation done. Because, you know, if they are autistic, then that gives you an answer and you can start providing services. That piece mm-hmm. as far as doing the action work. Now, as far as, as far as the feeling work, feel what you're going to feel because it is, you know, something that can come with guilt, frustration, shame, all those yes. things can because, you know, you can feel like as a parent, what did I do? What What did I do wrong, you know? things like mm-hmm. that, or, oh, my God, what does this mean for my child? For me, it it was, oh, my goodness, my child is a black little girl, and now she has this label of, of autism. How am I going wow. to, you know, raise her in this world, you know? So mm-hmm. that was what mm-hmm. I had to deal with. So there's a lot of parents who are dealing with a, a grieving process because as parents, you know, we have an idea of what our children are going to do and who they're going to be, and once you get that diagnosis, it shifts, you know, what you thought. So mm. there, there is a grieving process for that. So feel those feelings because they're, they're your feelings. But in the mm-hmm. same sense, this is your child. This is who your child is. And you don't want them to feel that they're that different that it has ruined the family. I never want my daughter mm. to grow up and, and have her feel like, oh, my mom, you know, didn't love me because I was different. Oh, my mom is ashamed of me and was always trying to fix me. You know, I never want her to feel those things. I want her to always feel accepted and loved. So be conscious of how you are 
you know, having this uh, reaction in front of your children because, you know, they're still watching and extremely aware of how Mm -hmm. you're feeling. So be Mm -hmm. conscious of that. Thank you for that. Would you also encourage, like, parents, maybe because, like you mentioned about, it's like a grieving process because you have these expectations, goals, and dreams for your child. Would you encourage parents to seek out professional support from a therapist for, like, their own? Most definitely. The thing is, it's hard to find an actual therapist for the parent whose child has a disability. Yeah, it's extremely hard to find, you know, that support because all the support go to the children and even then Mm -hmm. that there's Mm -hmm. scarcity within that, you know, for them to get the support. So that's another reason why I I created Autism and Black and specifically focus on the parents because not a lot of people are focusing on the parents. But I highly suggest doing the work of the of yourself as a parent and getting some some parenting education classes and getting some therapy to deal you know with this diagnosis because it does change the atmosphere of your whole household it really does mm-hmm. and you know it's okay to be frustrated you know with what mm-hmm. comes along with the autism diagnosis I get frustrated all the time I'm not frustrated with my daughter I'm frustrated with everything that comes along with the autism diagnosis, the school systems that don't understand, the therapists that don't understand, the the long Mm -hmm. wait list to get your child's services. So, yes, Mm -hmm. it it does do a a lot for the parents, a lot of overwhelming feelings. So, yes, please do the work and go and get some support, you know, because it's very lonely for a parent, you know, who has a child on the spectrum, especially if nobody in their circle is dealing with the same thing because they don't quite understand, you know, get a lot of the sympathy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times all you want is some support, somebody I can talk to. You know, I don't want to, you know, have the sympathy all the time. I just want to be able to vent and, you know, you understand what I'm going through. So, yes, please seek something mm-hmm. from someone out, some help out because it does get very lonely. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And now, um, Marie, I'm just thinking of of the parents that I, I do work with. And, you know, and I have to have those tough conversations, right, of talking about the expectations of their child and, like, them ultimately changing their parenting, you know, because they have a child who has a diagnosis of autism and then they have children who aren't diagnosed yeah. um, with anything because yeah. they, you know, they don't show signs or symptoms. And for them to understand you got to parent the kids differently. Like, you you, you know what I mean? And, and again, yeah. not taking away, you know, expectations or anything like that or saying, like, your kid can't do X, Y, and Z. But as a parent, now it's like a shift in mindset because now you have to be like, okay, I have to be realistic about yeah. certain things that I, you know, that I am expecting of. Mm-hmm. It is completely different so my six-year-old was our first child so for me I hadn't parented any other child so mm. for us, it was kind of like the shift wasn't that difficult because okay. she was first child. so it was like okay you know it's time she's 18 months so okay that was easy for us you know but then it, when she turned three I had uh, twins neurotypical which is the language that we use for somebody who's not autistic, neurotypical. So my twins are neurotypical. Mm-hmm. And that's where the shift came in for me because I was like, I don't know how to parent these two twins, and they really are off the chain here. Okay? So <laughs> that's where the shift came for me. I was like, these twins are really passionate. You know? <laughs> yes, you have to parent them completely different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for those parents who have neurotypical children first and then have a child who is autistic, you do have to mm-hmm. shift your parenting. You have to, it is, you know, treating them differently because your neurotypical child is going to be able to understand things cognitively that your autistic child may not. So you can't mm-hmm. have the same set of expectations for them. You have to parent them differently because children who are autistic learn differently. 
So, you know, you mm-hmm. have to be realistic and meet them where they are at the time. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. that's something that we truly have to consciously work on all the time, you know, because we want to be like, you know, you're five, you should be able to do this, but, you know, right. they're not. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. to come to terms with that. And I think for us as parents, that's really what it is, coming to terms with who our child is. Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, no, and, and then those are tough conversations. I'm thinking of me having them with the parents. And, and it's a tough conversation to have because, you know, many of the parents are still in their mindset. Um, like you said, cause it, they're grieving and so that a lot of them are at that denial stage and they're like, nope, ex, you know, they know what they're doing. Like, uh-uh. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, wait, no. <laughs> they don't. They don't. You, you, you know? <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They don't, you know? So we have to constantly, you know, have this talk with the parents like, okay, like, if what you're doing obviously isn't working. It's not working. Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot, mm-hmm. we can't beat the autism out of them. It's, it's not going to happen. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, let's try, just try something different. Let's try something different. That's what I tell them. Let's, mm-hmm. let's try something different because what you're doing is not working. So let's try mm-hmm. something different and see how that, that goes. You know, so I think a lot of times, you know, we're seeing and we're looking at, like I said, someone who I can have a conversation with that is way above my head, but again, mm-hmm. not tie their shoes. So there's that for a parent, you know, that's difficult because we're having these, you know, conversations that are so intellectual and so deep. But in the same sense, I have to help you tie your shoes or, you know, I have to, to help you uh, cut your food or, you know, help you go to the potty, things like this. Mm-hmm. So for the mm-hmm. parent, you know, the shift in the mindset is, is difficult because, of, you know, the two sides of the coins that come with autism, you can be completely advanced in all these things and then be, you know, developing, developmentally delayed in some other things. So it's a constant back and forth you know, with that one child. Mm, That is so, so, so true. So true. Now, Maria, before we, we, we cut off, what is something that you want the listeners to take away as it relates to autism awareness? Um, one is that, you know, um, autism does not equal intellectual disability. Uh, for the parents out there, it, it's okay to feel whatever you're going to feel when your child gets that diagnosis. Um, it's okay to take care of yourself. A lot of times as caregivers, mm-hmm. we put so much into a child that we forget self-care. And self-care is so important for us as caregivers because if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we definitely can't take care of our children. And then for mm-hmm. those who are providing support to the caregivers, you know, see what they need. You know, a lot of times we don't want that sympathy. We just want our friend to be there for us. You know, we don't want you to feel bad for what we're going through because we don't feel mm-hmm. bad for it. So, you know, that's <laughs> kind of why, you know, we may distance ourselves because we know that, oh, God, we got to go over here. We got to explain this and do this. And we don't want to do that all the time. So, you know. Meet your friend where they are and give them what you, they need. Ask them simply what they need, you know. Mm. So that's the I love that. And also for parents, it's okay to fire your professionals and find somebody who's going to play on your team. So mm. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Now, can you tell the listeners how they can connect with you and autism, um, in black because I really feel that people are going to listen to this and be like, you know what, Maria is dope. I'm going to have her as a special guest or you know what, we need to have her come speak somewhere. So I just really feel that. And so how can the listeners connect with you? Thank you. You can find me on my website at www.autisminblack.org. And then I'm very active on Instagram and I am autism and black on Instagram. So you can find me on my website, and that gives you all the contact information, my email, sign up to be on my list, uh, look around the site. And then you can find me on Instagram at Autism in Black. 
awesome, awesome. And now one last thing, Miss Maria. What are your top three ingredients you feel an evolver needs to be able to evolve into their best self? Hmm. Oh, this is a tough question. I would say uh, good self-reflection, being aware of the self, um, good self-care skills, being able to take care of yourself, Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, uh, being able to, to get outside of that box and push yourself um, in the uncomfortable zone because that's where all the action happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love all three of those. And I appreciate you so much for being a great guest today and for all the work you are doing to bring awareness to autism and, and being a therapist, you know, like, I definitely want to acknowledge you and appreciate you for all the hard work you are doing. Thank you so much. And I truly love this podcast. So I'm happy to oh, be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited that we were able to have you on and you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so we got we to gotta have you back. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> thank you. Hey, TC listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast. It can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And don't forget to connect with me on social media, on Instagram at The Evolving Chair, Facebook, The Evolving Chair, Twitter at The Evolving Chair without the R, and my new email address, podcast at theevolvingchair.com. So send in your questions if you are interested in being a guest or want to be on the chair with Lakeisha.